Welcome to Not A Christian Podcast. It's not a Christian podcast. It's a podcast that happens to be Christian. In this podcast, we tell stories, we talk about life, faith, and pretty much anything else you can imagine. So let's go ahead and jump into it. Welcome back to the show. It's Not a Christian Podcast, episode 82, right here on Friday, September the 23rd. How are we doing, everybody? Let's catch up a little bit. I posted about this on my Instagram story a few nights ago, but here's here's the story. If you don't follow me on Instagram or you didn't see it, I think it's entertaining enough to, to tell again. So I was scrolling through I think it was I think it was TikTok to be honest I I got TikTok like a year and a half ago probably I was going to do like cringy Christian stuff and highlight it on the or not do it I was going to find cringy Christian stuff and discuss it dissect it on the show and I never did and I just ended up like scrolling constantly I am on TikTok now I've posted like two videos so go find not a Christian podcast on TikTok I'm hoping to be more active on there uh, in the in the foreseeable future, but anyways, I'm scrolling through TikTok and I see that Chick Fil A has an autumn spice shake, which is just their way of saying pumpkin spice, I guess. Because this is a marketing thing, pumpkin spice has no pumpkin in it, right? It's called pumpkin spice because something like a pumpkin pie may have this spice in it and and actually a pumpkin pie always has these kinds of spices in it and people go nuts for pumpkin spice around this time of the year when really you could make pumpkin spice anything at home because it's just it's just a combination of several like household spices cinnamon nutmeg cloves and maybe a couple of other things but there's nothing about it where it's like oh i can only get this at a certain time of year when all these restaurants are trying to capitalize on it and make money. But anyway, you, you could have pumpkin spice at home anytime you want. Just Google it and, and buy some spices and you can make your own pumpkin spice mix. Follow me for more life hacks. Anyways, this Autumn Spice Shake from Chick-fil-A. See it on TikTok and within five minutes, I'd say, no, within three minutes, I have it ordered on the app, like through the Chick-fil-A app. And I live, I can walk to Chick-fil-A in probably four minutes. So that's what I do. It's like 8.30 at night. So I start walking to Chick-fil-A. And I cross Jackson Street. And I probably shouldn't have crossed when I did. Because there was a car coming. Like I didn't almost get hit. It wasn't that close. But it was probably closer than. I, sh- I shouldn't have done it. Okay. I, I'm, so if you're out there and you're the person that was in the car. <laughs> I'm sorry. So anyways, I go to Chick-fil-A. I pick up my shake at the counter that I'd ordered through the mobile app. This thing was like four sixty something, so I probably I well in hindsight I definitely shouldn't have bought it, but I just I just wanted to try it. I'm like this I've tried pumpkin spice stuff before, and I've never really been a huge fan. And I'm just this is the year I'm coming around. This is my year to in- start enjoying pumpkin spice. So I walk out of the restaurant with my shake in hand, put the straw in it. And as I'm walking through the parking lot, I take a sip. And this was the, the one of the most repulsive dessert items I've ever had. Because the way I described it on my Instagram story is that if you could somehow take an autumnal candle and burn it for a couple of hours, 
and there's that liquid in there, the wax. If you were to take that and somehow make it cold and thicker, but not like all the way solidified, that's exactly what this experience was. It was like drinking a straight up fall scented candle, which I don't recommend doing because it was, it was not good. It was repulsive. And I spent like 450 on this thing or more even 460 something, I think. And Usually, if I'm going to spend that money on something, I'm like, well, I'll at least finish it. Like, I may not like it, but it's not repulsive. But this milkshake was repulsive. It was not good at all. It sucked. And I took about f four more sips of it, like, on my walk home. And I just decided, like, I can't, I can't finish this. So when I got home, it went in the sink. It was dumped down the drain. And... Never again, Chick-fil-A. I don't know how this got past, like, your marketing team or, like, there, were, there was probably, like, some tests going on. And of all the things, you know, because Chick-fil-A, they don't do that often. They don't have these special items like, you know, Taco Bell, like, every day is coming out with a new thing and you see it all over social media. But Chick-fil-A doesn't do new stuff very often. And when they finally did, like, this was, this is what you do, Chick-fil-A. This is another, just another reason why Popeye's is far, is the superior chicken sandwich restaurant because they've never trotted out something like the the pumpkin spice the autumn spice shake yeah like you might get yelled at by a worker but that's part of the fun of going to Popeye's stop it Chick-fil-A this isn't good the autumn spice shake gets a thumbs down from not a Christian podcast I still enjoy Chick-fil-A I don't hate Chick-fil-A I've been accused of that. Of like, oh, Kyle hates Chick-fil-A. I don't. I like it. It's just overrated, and it's not the best chicken place. Probably not even the top three chicken places in my mind. But anyways, pr I've probably talked about this before. I know I've talked about this before. So Chick-fil-A Shake gets a thumbs down on the official Not A Christian Podcast review. Some other Instagram polls I've done lately, inspired by a microwavable meal that I got. Uh, so it was this mac and cheese bowl from Marie Callender's. And it was pretty solid, like after all was said and done, it was good for a frozen meal, like by frozen meal standards, nothing to complain about. And I told, I said this on my story, but I feel like I need to say it again. Frozen meals are like a once every three to four week kind of thing for me. I know they're probably not good for you and they're like, they don't, they would get old really quick, but every now and again, it just hits the spot. So anyway, I buy this mac and cheese bowl with chicken in it and at first it says cook it for four minutes so I cook it for four minutes it says peel the vent back and stir so I peel the vent back and stir and then the next piece of instructions says cook for another minute to two and a half minutes and I'm a little ticked off at this point because that is a huge range like 60 seconds or 150 seconds that's two and a half times the minimum amount. So I'm like, surely I'm not alone in saying like, this is a little bit ridiculous, Marie. I tagged Marie calendars in the Instagram story. She never viewed it. So still, still trying to get in contact with Marie. So if you know, if you know Marie's number, let me know. But I asked like, Hey, am I wrong for getting a little ticked off about this? And 67% of you said like, no, you're not wrong. You're completely justified in this. So thanks to everybody who affirmed me in that. And then I asked, well, if the range is from a minute to two and a half minutes, how long would you do it? And some people said like a minute 45. Will said a minute and 11 seconds. That's interesting. 
I got a three-minute answer. I got a 45 seconds to a minute answer. So those two are outside the range. I don't know what inspired those. But like several people said, a minute 45. And then Ryan, friend of the show Ryan, two minutes because it's in the middle and it requires less button presses than a minute 30 if you have the express button. So the express button, I guess, is 30 seconds, like a standard microwave. And I guess you push that four times, that's two minutes. So Ryan's out here just trying to be as efficient as possible because he can't take that extra microsecond to push another button. But then I, I did it for a minute and a half. But then that raised the question, wait a second. When people see a minute and a half cook time, do you push one three zero start or nine zero start? Because 90 seconds is a minute and a half. And then I found that 80% of you Press one three zero start, and I, I'm not claiming superiority here, but I've never even thought about doing one three zero start, like just ninety seconds. That's what comes natural to me, and you can't do that with every cook time. For instance, two minutes, you put one twenty. That's a minute twenty. That's how the microwave reads it. But anyways, I just thought it was really interesting. Then I asked you guys if you, from time to time, enjoy a microwavable frozen meal, and seventy five percent of you said yes. So I feel a little better. Like, it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of. I feel like that's one of those things that nobody really wants to admit to eating. Nobody really wants to say, like, oh, yeah, I eat frozen meals all the time. You know, my parents told me that when they were kids, like, TV dinners, and granted, I'm sure banquet TV dinners were higher quality back then because the th- thing is, I, okay, I enjoy frozen dinners, but banquet, that is a garbage brand. You get those things for nine, well, not 99 cents anymore because of inflation, but I bet they're like probably $1.19, $1.29 now. And though, like you get what you pay for. Those are absolute garbage. Don't get Banquet. Get like Marie Calendars, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, see, Marie, I'm talking good about you, even though your cook times are ambiguous. But my parents told me that when they were kids, a Banquet TV dinner, it came in a foil tray because nobody had microwaves and you had to cook in the oven for like 45 minutes. But they said that was like a treat. Like, like you didn't get it very often, maybe like a couple times a year, but, but like a couple times a year, you ate TV dinners and now it's seen as like a last minute desperation kind of thing. So, but, but 75% of you said that you, you do occasionally enjoy a frozen dinner. So I'm happy for that. I'm happy. I'm not alone. Something else interesting has happened to me over the past couple of days. And by interesting, I mean, Probably not very interesting to anyone else, but it did remind me of a good story. At my job at the BSM, we have a free lunch every Wednesday, and usually a church provides or a church cooks the lunch and just brings it with them. So we just like welcome at the door, like, hey, what's up? Bring the food in here. Thank you. But this week, the church was not able to make it, so they gave us some money and they were just like, here, use this money for lunch. So that's what we did. And I was making some meatball subs in the kitchen. This was, you know, Wednesday morning. And I've got this giant uh, roaster thing, and I fill that sucker with like a bunch of a bunch of spaghetti sauce, a bunch of marinara sauce, actually, because it's not going on spaghetti; it's going on meatball subs, so it's marinara, right? Is that how it works? So I fill this tub up of marinara sauce, and I'm in there stirring it, and I accidentally like stir a little too aggressively, and it splashes all over my shirt. And this was like a blue and white striped shirt, so it was it was light blue and white, so it was very noticeable. These big splotches of 
marinara sauce all over the place, all over my shirt, all over the counter. So I try to clean it off right then and there, but I realized quickly I'm not getting this stain out ever unless I go home right now and get it out. And while I'm there, I'm obviously going to go ahead and change clothes. So I come back home and I change into another shirt and I like try to scrub the stains out of that other one. I'm still trying to get a couple of the bigger ones out. But anyways, I, I don't hardly ever have to run home and change clothes because I get them because they get messed up. In fact, I don't know if that's ever happened in my adult life that I've messed up my clothes so much to where I had to just go home real quick and get a new set of clothes. So I go home, I change clothes, go back. The meatball subs were great. The rest of the day finishes off seamlessly. But then fast forward to today, which is Thursday. So you know I procrastinated recording again. But today, Thursday, every now and again, every few weeks, me and some other campus ministers from other different ministries uh, at ASU, we get together and just have coffee, talk about ministry, pray for each other. It's a great time. So we're all gathered around at this coffee shop, sitting on these couches, and we'd, we'd pretty much wrapped up. We'd been there for almost an hour and a half, so we were just kind of sitting around, talking to each other afterwards, and you know, talking shop. And I've got my coffee cup. It's one of those paper coffee cups that coffee shops use. And I'm not leaning back in the couch. I'm not exactly leaning forward. I'm just kind of sitting up straight, holding my coffee like above my lap. And then all of a sudden, like we're just in the middle of conversation, all of a sudden out of nowhere, like the bottom of my cup just falls out. Like the seam where the bottom was attached to the side, it just got like it just got wet. And which happens with paper cups. But it doesn't usually happen after like an hour and a half of having it. So the the bottom of the cup falls out and like a third of this cup of coffee spills out just straight onto my leg, onto my lap. And for a second, I don't know what's going on because I'm just holding this coffee and all of a sudden there's coffee in my lap. And then I just kind of pause and look down and the guy sitting next to me is like, what just happened? And I look, and, and like I said, where the, the bottom of the cup meets the side of the cup, I guess they usually seal it with some kind of wax or something, but obviously this cup was defective. It did not get sealed all the way because that seam just gave out. And it, like like I said, like a third of a cup of coffee, thankfully I'd had it for a while, so it wasn't hot, all over my lap. So I kind of laugh about it for a minute. People are like rushing to get me napkins, but it's not doing any good because it's already like soaked into my, my pants and in my underwear even. So I'm just like, well, I guess I'm going to go now. I'm going to go home and change into a different set of pants. So that's what I did. And like I said, I don't know if that's ever happened to me in my adult life. And then two days in a row, I have to go home and change clothes, which is pretty fascinating. But then that reminds me of another story. I know this intro is going a little long, but I think this is all riveting content. This is probably the best one. And it's not even that, it's not that great, honestly, because it's, it's one of those stories that I've had in the back of my mind forever, but I haven't thought of it in years. And then like getting the coffee all over my pants this morning reminded me of it. So this story happened when I was either a freshman or a sophomore in high school. I know it wasn't junior, senior, and how I know that doesn't matter. It's not interesting at all. It was, it was basically like where we were sitting in the cafeteria. So we're sitting in the cafeteria. I'm probably 15, 16 years old, and it's nacho day. So I'm sitting like at the end of the, like at the head of the table, and my friends are all sitting like on the sides of the table. And Jake, my friend Jake, is sitting to my left. 
So we're like catty corner to each other, if that makes sense. And he's got his arms on the table or something, and then somebody does something to make him move suddenly, and he knocks my full, like I had just sat down, he knocks my full plate of nachos into my lap. And we're not talking like nachos like you would make at home. We're talking about cafeteria nachos, where that ground beef is just a little extra wet, a little more wet than it should be. And I think they even had like nacho cheese on there. And like cafeteria beef just has a certain smell, not 100% natural. So, so I've got a lap full of nachos now. And I just look down and Jake's like, oh crap, I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, it's all right. So we like clean the nachos off my lap and off my chair. And now I'm just left with this, with no lunch. So thanks, Jake. But also a giant brown nacho stain on my lap. And so we, we clean it up the best we can. I think I even go in the bathroom and try to like wash my pants while they're still on me, which probably just made it look like I came out of the bathroom with my pants wetted, wet, wetted. I don't know. But I like I'd wet my pants in the bathroom somehow. <laughs> like I didn't quite make it. But anyways, it didn't really work because the nacho stain, like once the water dried, the nacho stain was still very, very heavy on my pants. So I'm forced to go the rest of the day because I'm a freshman or sophomore. I don't think I'm driving at this point. So I can't go home, and I'm not sure if I would have even been allowed to go home just to change pants or not. The rest of the day, I have to deal with these nacho pants. So I, I go to my next class, and it's an English class. And as I'm going to class and as I like take my seat in English class, it becomes apparent to me that this is going to be a long day because these... This nacho stain in my, on my crotch is starting to smell. And the longer the day goes on, I know it's just going to be smelling worse and worse. And so I sit down, and I remember my friend Sarah sat in the desk next to mine. And the nacho pants come up in conversation. I doubt she was like, hey, what's that smell? Why is there a brown stain on your lap? But it was one of those things where I, I think I felt like I had to announce it to everyone. Like, just to alleviate any awkwardness of, like, yes, I know it's there. I know I stink, but I have no other option. So, Sarah, I don't know if you remember this. I know you're you're a, at least an occasional listener of the show. Tell me. Let me know. Do you remember this? Uh, but, anyways, the nacho stain comes up in conversation, naturally. And then she, like, goes to her purse or her backpack or something, and she pulls out this bottle, and she's like, well, I've got this scented hand lotion if you want to try to cover it up. So I'm like probably 15 years old. I don't know how the world works. I don't know that you can't just mask. I don't, I, I don't know that you can't just neutralize a bad smell by putting a good smell on top of it. I should have because I'd been in plenty of junior high locker rooms. And if you know anything about boys junior high locker rooms and you're wondering why I know anything about boys junior high locker rooms, it's because I used to be a junior high boy, not because I've been in one as an adult, despite the allegations. <laughs> oh, oh, I probably shouldn't joke about that. But no, I've, there, there have been no allegations. I've never been inside of a junior high locker room after junior high. So anyway, like a junior high boy's locker room, it smells like farts and body odor. And there's no getting around that. And junior high boys spray Axe body spray like it's a shower. That is a substitute for a shower for a junior high boy. And the smell of 
Farts and body odor are not covered up by Axe body spray. They simply intermingle and they do not go well together. So I should know at this point in life as a 15-year-old that putting this lotion over this nacho atrocity on my pants isn't going to fix anything, but I'm desperate. I don't want to go the rest of the day smelling nacho remnants on me like it's a cologne. So I say, yes, I will take that lotion. So I put some, like I put a glob of this lotion in my hand and I just start like rubbing it all over my pants. It did not help. It did not help at all because for the rest of the day, I just smelled like nachos and lotion. And it was one of those weird smells that they didn't mix together well. Neither one of them was predominant, but neither one of them smelled good while paired with the other. So anyway, that's that's the story. I just went through the rest of my day smelling like nachos and lotion, and it got progressively worse throughout the day. That's been my life for the past couple of days, and it took me back to, to that story from high school. Uh, so that's that's enough for this intro. We've, we've talked about a lot already, and we've got a lot to get into. Just to give you a little roadmap of where we're going, uh, the main segment today is going to be introing, finally, at long last, what was meant to be the summer series, but it is now officially fall or, or autumn, as some people say. Uh, so this is now just known as the series, the Dawn of Time series, Genesis Creation, and the beginning of all things. So like I said, that's going to be the main portion of today's show. And we're going to follow that up. There's a new there's a new Christian movie coming out. Guess what? Spoiler alert. It's a God's Not Dead movie. So we're going to just, just talk a little bit about that at the end of the show. And then I'm going to give you my recommendation of the week. And this is a good one. So you do not want to miss it. Let's go ahead and jump into the first segment. All right. At long last, it is time to start our Dawn of Time series. I've been teasing this one for months now. I meant to start it originally in June, but then it was like, no, I'm going to be moving, so I need to start it in July, and we all know throughout the summer, I just needed some time to adjust to moving, and I'm still adjusting, but here we are. We're finally, we're finally doing it. The Dawn of Time series, talking about Genesis, creation, and the beginning of all things. We're not going to dive super deep today. I'm just going to kind of preface the the series with some some polls we did like a while back, and then just kind of let you know what what all the what the, what the series is going to be about. Kind of give you an overview of some of the things we're going to be addressing, some of the stuff we're going to be talking about, and kind of like why I chose to do this series. So way back in June, uh, I ran some polls and I asked you guys to give give responses and you did. Uh, just to some questions, some theological questions that, that pertain to the dawn of time and creation, Genesis, all that good stuff. And I'm going to tell you how you guys voted. Uh, so the first question I asked was, how old is the earth? 53% of you believe that the earth is thousands or tens of thousands of years old which means 47% of you said millions or billions of years old. The next question was, did the Genesis creation account happen over seven literal days or are the seven days a metaphor? Similar voting breakdown. 53% of you said seven literal days. 47% of you said it was a metaphorical seven days. Next question. Did every event in Genesis literally happen? For example, a talking snake the Flood, the Tower of Babel, etc. 81% of you said, yes, those did literally happen. 
19% of you said, no, it is not necessary for the Bible to be true, that those things literally happened. Next, was Adam a real historical person? 86% of you said yes, 14% of you said no. Next question, who wrote the book of Genesis? 72% of you said Moses. 28% of you said another person slash group of people wrote Genesis. Do you think, the final question I asked in the polls way back three months ago, do you think it's possible for the Bible to be true if it borrowed myths and legends from ancient cultures and traditions? 70% of you said yes, which means 30% of you voted no. And I found these results to be interesting because for the most part, I disagreed with, you know, my opinion is different from, from the way you guys voted. And that's really, that was kind of what sparked me to want to do this series over like the book of Genesis and creation, because that's something that I feel like in seminary, it was one of those theological topics that was presented to me for the first time. Like, hey, there's a different way to think about this. And my thinking did shift when it comes to thinking about the earliest books of the Bible. Now, I'm not going to tell you exactly what I believe about each one of those questions because I think each one merits a little more time and we will address each one the further and further we go into this series. But but this was my motive for the last series we did, the last long series anyways, that I did over the end times in the summer of 2021. Is there a different way to think about these things than what I'm used to or what I grew up thinking or what I grew up believing? Or the default, because the default in Christianity, throwing it back to last year's summer series, the default in Christianity is to believe in these end times, much like it is painted in the Left Behind series, and there's going to be this rapture and this tribulation, and I think there's a different way to think about that. And also with Genesis and creation, I think the safe way to think is that, you know what, the safest thing for me to believe is that everything in Genesis literally happened. And that Genesis is actual, actual literal history. It's for sure that things unfolded this way, seven literal days. I think that's the safe way of thinking. And with, with the last series, I didn't really tip my hand as to, to what I believe, but this one I'm already tipping my hand. So a few things that we have to keep in mind when we read scripture, particularly the Old Testament. Um, and I think this is something we don't give credit to often enough. If there was someone who had never heard of or read the Bible, where would you tell them to start? Right? What would you tell? How would you tell them to read it? Because the thing is, a book, what you would expect from a book is like a narrative story. And that's what the first few books of the Bible, as they appear in our canonized Bible, are. Is that they're narrative. But also in scripture, you have texts that are more historical. Some that are wisdom literature. Some that are poetry some that are letters, some that are apocalyptic, not in the sense that they're giving a roadmap of the end times as we think of apocalyptic, but apocalyptic as they were written in code for a certain time in a certain place. The Bible is a library of books, not a standalone book. So when we read the Bible, we can't just say all of this in its original context was written to the same group of people because it wasn't. It spanned thousands upon thousands of years. It was composed and written and put together over the course of millennia. So we can't just 
have this idea that the book fell out, that the Bible fell out of the sky as it is, uh, just specifically and, and mostly for us, because it wasn't. It was The Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us, and we have to keep that in mind. So if someone were to read the Bible, I think from the outside looking in, people interpret the Bible, like if someone's not a Christian, I think here's, here's what they would say the Bible is. The Bible is A, a list of rules, or a very inaccurate history of the world, right? Because, uh, you know, we've got this whole dichotomy we've set up between creation, evolution, and whichever, and we'll definitely get into some of that throughout this series. But the Bible isn't necessarily trying to be scientific. Like, the, sci- the, the Bible is not a science textbook, and that shouldn't come as a surprise. And because it's not a science textbook... We don't have to interpret every word literally. What if every word of scripture was literal? Well, let me point you to Psalm 137. It was written while in exile and God's people had been captured. And at the very end of Psalm 137, here's what the psalmist says. They say, happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. So basically, if we take every word of Scripture absolutely literally, that means we would have to praise people killing babies because they were being oppressed. Or when asked about forgiveness, and Jesus says, you shouldn't just forgive your brother of a sin, you should forgive them seven times, seventy times. Would that mean that we need to literally forgive someone 490 times say I forgive you I forgive you I forgive you I forgive you 490 times no we don't have to do that and so so if we're fine and I I don't know of a person that would say like no these two examples that I just gave they are literal so we need to uh, apologize 490 times or if someone oppresses us we should kill their children nobody's going to say that uh, nobody who is who takes the Bible seriously, at least. So why do we have such an aversion to, to saying, hey, maybe when it comes to the book of Genesis, maybe giving a literal account, a seven-day literal account of what happened isn't the idea here. Because we live in a post-Enlightenment era. And before the Enlightenment, which is in like the 1600s, our way of thinking has shifted since then. When, when the Enlightenment happened, it, it turned into this rationalistic way of thinking. And we no longer were able to speak in metaphor or in story, but everyone looked for facts and figures and numbers, and that's how we still exist today. So since the Enlightenment, Christians have now said, okay, if the Bible isn't literally true, like scientifically true, then nobody's going to believe us. Therefore, the Bible has to be scientifically true, every single word of it. And that's just the way we think. And there's this this way of reading scripture. So you may have heard the term exegesis, where we draw meaning out of the passage based on historical context, based on audience, based on author, things like that. Well, the opposite of exegesis is eisegesis. And that is, is us taking our own presuppositions and our own ideas and applying them to scripture as we read it. It's And, and what we've done since the Enlightenment, what we're still doing in large part today, is that we're reading science into the Bible, and we're reading scripture and saying, look, the Bible is talking about these modern scientific phenomena, and it's been there all along. 
For instance, I'll hear people quote Job in saying there are dinosaurs in the Bible. You can read about it right here. But if we look at it honestly, and we'll do this later in the series, that the, that passage, those passages are not talking about dinosaurs. Or there's a passage in Isaiah that, that people will often point to and say, look, Isaiah says right here, before anybody else knew that the earth was round, Isaiah the prophet said it. But if we really look at that scripture, it's not talking about a round earth. It's using metaphor and it's appealing to the, to the audience that it was written for. So we can't eisegete science into the Bible, and we can't say that the Bible points to all these scientific facts when it actually does not. That is being intellectually irresponsible. So I'm not telling you the whole Bible is just a big metaphor. It's a big allegory. We should all be happy and, and treat each other with kindness because that's what Jesus did. But if, if every word of Scripture was symbolic, there would be no resurrection. There's a chance there wouldn't even be such a thing as God or such a thing as Jesus. But the Bible is literal and, and historical in some ways, but it's not literal and historical in every single way. Scripture is old, especially the Old Testament, especially the book of Genesis, and people to whom it was written thought differently than us. So, so we, we hear a lot about biblical language translation. We don't hear a lot about culture translation. So we have to take into account when we read the Old Testament what was going on in the culture? What did the culture believe? And what was the, what was the writer, what was the author or the editor trying to communicate to the people of the time? Okay, because here's something that exists, and this is an undeniable fact. This isn't something that is really disputed. There are other creation stories from other cultures. There are other flood stories from other cultures. There are other narratives and aspects of literature and of story and of history that are too similar to the Bible to be coincidental. For instance, we'll get into these later, but the flood of Gilgamesh, it's too parallel to the Bible account to be a coincidence. There's an ancient creation story about some, some divine characters named Marduk and Tiamat that is too similar to the Genesis creation account to be coincidental. So you might say like, oh, they just copied the Bible, but these stories actually predate the earliest record of the book of Genesis being written down. And in our post-enlightenment brains, we think there's either one of two stories. Like, oh, Genesis must have come first, even though there's no proof of it, and these other stories copied it. Or the Bible author copied and plagiarized these old stories, these old myths. Therefore, the Bible and God isn't the Bible isn't true, God isn't real, and Christianity is a, is a sham. But that's our post-enlightenment brain thinking, and that's a very dangerous place to be. Because while I do believe the Christian faith is indeed about that, it's about faith, we can also reconcile it with pretty much everything else. We can reconcile that maybe the biblical authors were borrowing from other myths when they were communicating truth. Because back then, truth was not communicated through facts and figures like it is for us today. But if they wanted to tell a story, you have to remember this, they didn't write things down. They didn't read or write. They, cre they cre communicated truths by speaking them to each other. What's easier to remember, a list of facts or a story? 
So, so we'll get into these creation stories, and this is probably going to be my favorite part of this series. But these are just some things to think about. We live in a very dichotomized culture where we are forced to pick a side. You know, when it comes to politics or when it comes to science versus religion, when it comes to just about everything, you know, biblical interpretation, it's just like, hey, you have to decide with this side or the other. But the fact, rem- the fact is, who says there were two ways to think about any one thing? That's what we've been forced to think, is you're either for us or you are against us. You either know the truth or you're a heretic. And I am just, I am so, <laughs> I'm so over, I'm so over being scared. Oh, I don't want to say scared. No, I'll say scared. I, I think theologically there exists today a lot of fear in Christians. A lot of fear of people who think differently. A lot of fear of being quote unquote too liberal in our theology. And the safe thing to do, like I said earlier, the safe thing to do is just to say, you know what, maybe the maybe we should just read every word of scripture literally. And we should eisegete science into the scripture. We're always forced to pick a side, but what if I told you there's more than two sides to pick from? Because a dichotomized way of thinking is too polar. Right? God, God is the author of infinite creativity. He's the author of all things, all concepts. And we've, we've managed to make it about, hey, you either need to believe this way or this way, and there's no room for anything in between. And we'll do so at the expense of our academic and intellectual integrity. A dichotomized way of thinking in almost any regard is not only misguided, but it's intellectually irresponsible. And that kind of thinking is far too reductionistic. Truth is truth, and don't get me wrong, I believe every single word of the Bible is true. It conveys truth about God. The Bible tells us the truth about sin. The Bible tells us truth about humanity, truth about the world, truth about ourselves, truth about God. But how is it communicating that truth? In the Genesis account, you might recall that the sun and the moon were created after night and day. Does that make sense in our minds? No, because how is there night and day without the sun and the moon? But you have to take into account the culture. People in ancient cultures worshipped the sun and the moon, and the author of Genesis was proving points. First, they are created. Right? They are not the be-all, end-all of life. They are not the providers of life. Yahweh God is the giver and the provider and the creator of life. And Yahweh God is the only one who is worthy of worship. And even though night and day, and even though the sun and the moon were there very early on, they were not the first thing created. Therefore, they are not worthy of your worship. And another question, from a religious perspective, does that mean that Genesis provides prescribes a literal seven days in which God created the world in a particular order. And from a scientific perspective, you would say no, because there can't be night and day without a sun and a moon. Does that mean the Bible is completely illegitimate? No, it does not. In the ancient world, there was no separation between science and God. God was in all things, doing all things. So so the purpose of Genesis is not to tell us, hey, the world was created in X amount of days, whatever you believe, X amount of time. That is not the purpose of Genesis. The real narrative is that God created 
the the earth and the universe in which he would dwell in which he would live in and he created people in his image and he would live among them he would live in them he would send jesus to them he would love them and he would redeem his creation that's what genesis is trying to communicate to us but but in our narrow minds we've 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 turned it into a culture war we 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 use the book of genesis to like point our fingers at other people and call these people liberals call these people progressive and it's just it's ridiculous it's ridiculous the way that that we use scripture we weaponize scripture to point the finger at other people and talk about how how misguided they are so we take the most beautiful story that's ever unfolded about a God who lovingly created the world, about a God who willingly made himself low and entered into his creation as Jesus Christ and suffered an undeserved death all for the purpose of redeeming that creation and we've weaponized it. We've used it to draw lines in the sand. And so, so my way of reading scripture is never, how can I weaponize this? But how can this lead us to love our neighbor? How does this lead us deeper into the truth of God's character and who he is? And to make it about history versus myth or religion versus science is planting a flag in the ground saying that we are unwilling to engage the Bible for what it truly is. Say, I'm going to take the Bible, I'm going to strip it of most of its meaning, I'm going to flatten it out, as my favorite scholar N.T. Wright puts it, and use it for my own means in answering the cultural question of this day and this age. And y'all, if you couldn't tell, I'm excited about this series. We just kind of skimmed the surface of it today, but man, I'm ready to get into it. I can't wait. If you have any questions along the way, be sure to send them to me in a message, or if you need me to clarify on something I say from week to week, or if you have a question about the book of Genesis, or hey, how do we interpret this? Uh, how do we go about this? I want this to be open to that. I'm not, I, I, I will admit, I'm not as confident in this as I am in like the last summer series we did. Uh, I haven't read and studied this quite as much, but I do think it has significant implications for the way we live as Christians in the kingdom of God. So I can't wait to get into the rest of this, but for now, let's go ahead and transition to what's next. So in other news, and uh, post about this on Instagram the other day as well, uh, God's Not Dead 5 is on its way. The movie that no one asked for Actually, I guess a lot of people are asking for it because they wouldn't still be making these things if they weren't making a sick amount of cash off of them. But anyways, God's Not Dead is coming out again. Number five, we still haven't proven it, I guess, to the people we're wanting to prove it to. So God's Not Dead 5 coming out. So I asked you guys on Instagram, like, what is what is the subtitle going to be for this God's Not Dead movie? Because the last couple of installments have had like, you know, God's Not Dead for We the People. And I don't know any of the rest. I've actually never seen a God's Not Dead movie, so maybe maybe me making fun of them relentlessly is a little bit out of bounds, but I don't care. Um, I've heard enough, seen enough, know enough to know that these, these are probably not, not quality movies. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I asked you guys to tell me. I created a few of my own. So one of mine was God's Not Dead 5, Tokyo Drift, because there's been like way too many, like the Fast and the Furious movies. God's Not Dead 5, Christians Will Watch Anything. 
<laughs> and my last my last creation was God's Not Dead 5. Please make it stop. But they aren't going to make it stop. It's like a scary ride that you can't get off of once you're on. Uh, Austin submitted the answer, Biden says he's Jesus. So God's Not Dead 5. Biden says he's Jesus. That's an M. Night Shyamalan type twist on the end of, of God's Not Dead. <laughs> Uh, Rachel said, God's not dead five, and here's how he would vote. <laughs> that's that's basically what these God's not dead movies are, are becoming. They're becoming less about Jesus and more about a political agenda. Uh, so that's that, that's what God's not dead five is going to be, because it's going to be centered around politics, just like the fourth one. So that sounds kind of like a joke. How many God's not dead movies does it take before they get overtly Republican? Uh, the answer is four. They did it on the fourth one, and... It went well enough to where they're doing it. Uh, they're doing it for the fifth one too. Next up, the Fletch says, "God's not dead." Five, God's in office, and like I said, only if it's a Republican in office. And then, well, if it's if it's not a Republican in office, that means the end times are here. If it's a Republican in office, that means God's will is being done. I wish I was. I. That's totally sarcasm. Please take it that way. But that's most people who would say it that way don't don't say it sarcastically. That's what I've noticed, is that depending on who is in office, Christians will say one of two things. We need to pray for our leaders that they make good decisions. Or if it's someone else in office, it's this is a sign of the end times. And the the results of the voting are illegitimate. But uh, anyway, sorry. Sorry. We, we're not going there today. <laughs> Nate submitted, God's not dead. The empire strikes back. And I don't know what empire he's talking about. Maybe it's the Roman Empire. But I'm pretty sure it's it's something Star Trek related. Something about Dumbledore as he's going to uh, going to Sauron to get the ring back and meets Princess Fiona along the way. Something like that. Donnie submitted God's Not Dead 5. He's still not dead. And I really wish the atheist... Atheist, can you just admit it? Like, you don't even have to mean it, but just say, be like, okay, fine, God's not dead. So maybe maybe we'll stop making these movies. Uh, Donald also said, God's Not Dead 5, a Pure Flix original. And that is a characteristic of this movie is that it was too bad for theaters. So now it's on Pure Flix, which is basically the Christian version of Netflix, only it's free. So if that gives you any indication of the quality of stuff on there, free Christian stuff, you don't get much worse than that. Um, Donald is on fire. He, He submitted another one. God's Not Dead 5 and neither is this franchise even though we all wish it was dead. But it's still making that sweet, sweet cash. Michael submitted God's Not Dead 5, Jesus is President, because kings are outdated. That is a very good, like, modern biblical translation. Uh, Jesus is President. Next up, Josh submitted one of my favorite answers, God's Not Dead 5, Sharknado Apocalypse. And he hashtagged it with Combine the Universes. And I'm all for this. I think a... I almost said not a Christian podcast. Sharknado crossover needs to happen, which it does. But before that happens, a God's not dead apocalyptic Sharknado needs to happen. And they can even throw some like left behind series in there too if we want to get real heretical. (laughs) Talk about some dispensationalism thrown in the midst. Yes, let's do it. That would spell the end of the franchise though, I guess, because it's about the end times, but maybe maybe they'll finally do it. Uh, Will probably probably submitted my favorite answer of all because it's so ridiculous. It's God's Not Dead 5, Passion 2, Crucify This. 
<laughs> that one just made me laugh. It's like, God's not dead. Crucify this. Anyway, uh, Ryan submitted the answer. God's not dead five, the seventh dispensation. Once again, we've got some end times terminology there. And please, Lord, let this be the last God's not dead movie. Let this be the seventh dispensation. I will I will just say I'm not a dispensationalist. We've talked about this before, but if it meant putting an end to the God's Not Dead series, I might change my mind. My friend Daniel submitted God's Not Dead 5 Reckless Love. So we're we're going into all kinds of waters here, all kinds of controversial stuff. So thank you guys for for giving me that feedback. I laughed out loud at a bunch of these. They were very funny. Uh, I got a lot of responses to that question. Uh, I didn't read a few of them because they weren't that great, TBH. But <laughs> anyways, like I said, God's Not Dead 5. It's going to be on Pure Flix. Uh, this is not my recommendation of the week. I, I hope I've made that clear. Uh, it hasn't started being produced yet, I don't think, based on like a couple articles I've read. But the actual title is going to be God's Not Dead 5 Rise Up. And it's going to focus on politics. Surprise, surprise more Christians trying to get in bed with politics. And here's here's what I've noticed when it comes to like Christian treatment of politics. They'll always say, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but then they will proceed to like vilify one group for like the whole time they're talking or the whole, or whatever. And then be like, but I'm not telling you who to vote for, which is just dumb. Just come out and say it. Come out and say what everybody knows you're thinking. The God's not dead, people. They're, they don't care. A uh, quote from the the writer of God's Not Dead or the director. I don't know. He's been behind all this mess. He said, I'm humbled eight years later that this type of movie and this message resonates with so many people. And, you know, I just can't help but think that the God's Not Dead series, I'm sure some people probably have come to the Lord over it. Okay, so it's fine, I guess. But for the most part, this and most of Christian media, it's like we try to sell it as outreach, but really it's it's only reaching the people who already agree with what we say. And that's that's a problem I have with a lot of Christian media and a lot of even books and writings out there. It's only trying to address Christians to help us like to like to make sure we're like solidifying our views and I don't know, I don't know how to explain it. But we're we're ask we're answering the questions that no actual people outside of the church are even asking, right? So, for instance, there there may have been a time when people were asking these questions, but for the most part, people aren't asking anymore, is the Bible true or is, is Christianity true? Sure, some people are, but for the most part, they're asking, is Christianity good, right? So, I anyway, that's, that's my commentary on God's not dead. Uh, the, the original one, I found this out today, the original God's Not Dead movie made $100 million. That's astronomical. $100 million on a movie. So I don't know. Maybe it's working. If I if I made $100 million on a movie, I would probably make them until I stopped making money, to be honest. But anyway, God's Not Dead 5. Not my recommendation of the week. But my recommendation of the week is... A brand new podcast called the Peanut Gallery Podcast. And to this point, there are two episodes. They've got their intro episode and they've got episode two in which yours truly is a guest. So I was the first ever guest on the Peanut Gallery Podcast. 
I don't really know if I'm allowed at this point to say who creates the podcast because they have gone by monikers in the first couple of episodes. But if you if you know them, you're going to know who it is making the podcast. But I'm going to respect their privacy for now. They don't want to be known, so I'm not going to make it known. But people that I know personally that have started a podcast, and I was really excited to be their first guest. And and now that I'm 82 episodes in, it was really cool and refreshing to see like the excitement that came with you know somebody creating a podcast for the first time. It was very reminiscent of when I first started my podcast and how excited I was about it then. That's a feeling that you know I'll never feel again in that exact way. And that's all right. I still I love what we're doing with Not a Christian Podcast now. I love that it's gone 82 episodes. But I had a really great time on on the Peanut Gallery podcast. We talked about we rehashed some stories that that I have talked about on my show before. Uh, we also talked about desserts and pudding film and you know some things that I've I've never talked about on the show. And so if you like Not a Christian Podcast, you'll definitely like that episode of the Peanut Gallery podcast. But go ahead and just make it a part of, of your regular listening routine. If you want to know where to find it, you can find them on Instagram at peanutgallery.pod. Uh, you can also go to the link in my bio on Instagram or Twitter. I've got a link to their link tree, <laughs> if that makes sense. Go to my bio and and give them a listen. And don't just listen to the episode with me and it. Be sure to give all their stuff a listen because I listened to episode one and it was pretty entertaining. I liked it a lot. Uh, so, you know what? I'm going to do a twofer recommendation. This one's not exactly a rec of like something new, but actually I made a Spotify playlist now that fall is here. Just some, some music that reminds me of fall. And you know, living in West Texas, it was like 95 degrees today, so it doesn't really feel like fall, but the calendar has turned to fall. So I just put some like acoustic chill stuff on there. Uh, so go to the link in my bio once again to go to the Spotify playlist Maybe if it's cool where you live or once the weather finally does start cooling down, you want you gather around a campfire, you got some candles burning in your house or your apartment, and you want to, some fall vibes, just go to that playlist. Um, it's a few songs that I love that kind of remind me of fall. So there it was, two recommendations this week. Before we go, I have one last thing to ask of you. If you've been with me since the very beginning, or even if you've only listen to one or two episodes, including this one. Here's what I want you to do. Not a Christian podcast is about to turn two years old, which is mind blowing, which is amazing. Uh, October 2nd, 2020 was when I uploaded the first episode of Not a Christian podcast. So we're coming up on our second birthday. So what I would like for you to do is make a voice memo or some kind of recording of you telling me your name and why you love Not A Christian Podcast or what Not A Christian Podcast has meant to you. It can be 10 seconds or it can be two to three minutes. Just let me know what it's meant to you. I'd like to feature them on a show. I want to do something real special for Not A Christian Podcast's second birthday. Uh, So if you could just do that for me, I would appreciate it. Maybe you, I don't know, Maybe you know me personally or you don't know me personally. So like you're, you're like, either way, this would be kind of weird. But just I'm not going to think it's weird. Uh, no one else will think it's weird. So please just record a voice memo in your phone even. It doesn't have to be super high quality and send that along to me. In the link in my bio, I've got a Google Drive folder you can drop that in. Or if you just want to send it as a direct message or an email or however you need to get it to me, 
send me your voice recording of you just saying your name and what Not A Christian Podcast has meant to you and why you enjoy the show. So if you could do that for me, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So I'm looking forward to listening to those, but for now, that's all the evangelical filth I've got for you. That's a wrap and that's a frat snap. Next time, I promise I'll do just a little bit better. Later. Later.